Welcome to the sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church in downtown Bentonville. If you have questions related to what you hear today, or just want to find out more about the ministries at First United Methodist Church, please visit us online at fumcbentonville.org, or check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok. It is a joy to welcome you here in worship today. If you're feeling a little stuffy in here, we're sorry. We are working on it. We have, we're trying to get the temperature to come down, but a cooling a room this big is a little rough. So you may have to just be patient. Feel free to do the old school, use the bulletin to fan yourself, um, and we're going to get it worked out uh, hopefully before next week. But And thank you for your patience in the midst of this. We are in a series in which we are looking at how people are deconstructing their faith, particularly on social media, how people are um, confronting what they've been taught and challenging that. Um, And so with that in mind today, we're going to continue in this series by hearing from the book of Acts. Uh, This is chapter 11, verses 1 through 18. The apostles and the brothers and sisters throughout Judea heard that even the Gentiles had welcomed God's word. When Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him. They accused him. He went to the home of the uncircumcised and ate with them. Step by step, Peter explained what had happened. I was in the city of Joppa praying when I had a visionary experience. In my vision, I saw something like a large linen sheet being lowered from heaven by its four corners. It came all the way down to me. As I stared at it, wondering what it was, I saw four-legged animals, including wild beasts, as well as reptiles and wild birds. I heard a voice say, get up, Peter, kill and eat. I responded, absolutely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice from heaven spoke a second time, never consider unclean what God has made pure. This happened three times. Then everything was pulled back into heaven. At that moment, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were staying. The Spirit told me to go with them, even though they were Gentiles. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered that man's house. He reported to us how he had seen an angel standing in his house and saying, Send to Joppa and summon Simon, who is known as Peter. He will tell how you and your entire household can be saved. When I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as the Spirit fell on us in the beginning. I remembered the Lord's words, John will baptize with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, then who am I? Can I stand in God's way? Once the apostles and other believers heard this, they calmed down. They praised God and concluded, so then God has enabled Gentiles to change their hearts and lives so that they might have new life. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, open our hearts, our minds, and our eyes that we might see and know the word you have for us this day. In your holy name we pray. Amen. So as we are looking at this passage and as we are considering what is happening with people and their faith in our world today, we're going to look at three questions. The first is, when is it acceptable to break the law? The second is, what is our relationship to law? And the third is, what are our ethics? So let's dive in. Let's start out with, when is it acceptable to break the law? Well... 
when the law is unjust and creates segregation and division, when it isolates people from community and keeps us apart from one another and keeps us unable to love and be in relationship with one another. Now let's look at these food laws that are at the heart of what is being discussed here in this passage. When these food laws were instituted, they were actually forces that both created and preserved community. First of all, it preserved the life of people. Many of the things that are restricted from being eaten were and still are dangerous. Uh, to some people because because they have allergic reactions to them. So before having that kind of medical understanding, it was good to restrict those on behalf of the whole community so that those who might have that allergy would not suffer. It also at the time created a distinction of the people called Israel. Because of their unique food laws, it gave them a sense of identity and community and belonging. It gave them a sense of who they were in comparison to the people that were around them, it was, a, it was a unifying factor. It kept them whole as a group at a time when they were incredibly vulnerable and still young and still small and still trying to make their way and still trying to be this beacon for the rest of the world about who God was. Over time, however, those very same laws became walls. They became barriers to community. They became barriers to wisdom and learning as people had greater understanding of how to preserve food and, and what foods might be, need to be avoided by some people. There, there was no space for that in those hard and fast laws. So it didn't allow for that kind of wisdom to be uh, brought into the space. They also were then, though, barriers to community because they kept some people from sharing the same table together. They kept some people isolated from one another. They kept division instead of making a space of inclusion. And they were barriers to people loving and knowing Christ. So that brings us to this revelation that Peter gets from God. And it reinforces the breakdown of the barriers that Jesus himself illustrated for people. Jesus in healing, he restored community. Jesus sat down at the table with tax collectors and sinners. Jesus made God's love open and accessible to Jews and Gentiles alike, made it open to the whole world. And so as Peter receives this revelation, it is just a confirmation of the reality that Jesus had lived out and it exhibited for the people. And it made space for more people to be in relationship with each other, to be able to sit down at a meal together, and to be in relationship with Jesus Christ. And it moved people. And in particular, in this moment, it moved Peter to speak out in favor of love. To name the need to be a community that welcomed all to be brave, and to challenge hundreds and hundreds of years of legal code and tradition in the name of love, in the name of community, in the name of being in a relationship with one another. So that brings us to the second question, what is our relationship to law? How do we respond to law? The same. We still need to resist it or change it when it is oppressive and exclusive. 
when it isolates people from community, and when it cuts people off from the church. The law can never supersede the love and care of community or the good of the people. We were not meant to serve the law. The law was meant to serve us. I have an example of of how this played out in my own life. Um, There was one Lent that I gave up meat uh, for Lent. By the way, that always is disastrous for me. Um, If I give up uh, meat for Lent, I'm not as healthy. I, I spend my entire time eating ice cream. Um, it's it's not the best. Part of me is just a carnivore. I just need to I just need to come to terms with that. Um, but I, this particular Lent, I had given up meat, and also at the same time, my son's best friend's parents invited us over to their house for the very first time. And we get there, and guess what? The table is spread out with meat. Now, I could have said, I am sorry, but because of my Christian tradition and faith, I cannot have any of this bounty that you have put before me. These were not Christians. They were from a different culture. They didn't understand that. And all it would have done was put a barrier between myself and them. So I said a little prayer to God. You know, forgive me. I'm going to break my Lenten vows here. Um, And yet I'm still here. God didn't strike me down, right? God didn't say, oh, no, you, you didn't honor your fast. No, I chose to be in relationship and in community with someone else. Y'all, this series is looking at what's driving people away from the church. That's the point of it, so that we can understand that. And when, when I had envisioned this, for those of you that don't know, I plan sermon series out months in advance. In fact, right now, the staff has a rough plan through August of 2023. Right? Right. So this has been on the books for months. The title of the sermon, Breaking the Law, has been on the books for months. When I envisioned this sermon, I was pretty sure what I was going to deal with was our relationship with politics because that is one of the key things that is driving people away from the church is our allegiance with certain political understandings. That was what I thought I was going to do. And then about a week ago, we got the leak of the Supreme Court decision on Roe versus Wade. And suddenly... I'm having a different law that I've got to look at in relation to this. Because it is a deluge out there now, y'all. The people that are responding on social media in anger and frustration at this draft opinion, they they are sharing all kinds of perspectives. They're talking about the callous way that the opinion talks about babies as commodities. They're upset that medieval legal code is being quoted as the precedent for it at a time when women were being still prosecuted as witches. They're upset that people who are defending this opinion are saying things like it won't make abortion illegal across the United States. If, if you need an abortion, you can just travel or you can move to another state as if that's possible for everyone. So it comes off not as someone who is truly pro-life, but, but as someone who just doesn't want poor women to have access to medical care instead it's a classist response not an ethical response 
and it disregards the voices and lived experience and realities of people and the people on social media that are responding this way are laying the blame at the foot of the church it is the church's fault that we are in this position it is because of the church and it is making people that much less excited about being part of the Christian community it's driving more and more away but some may ask then am I advocating that we have no ethics in the face of that that we that we do whatever we need to do to keep people in the church and that's that's not what I'm advocating here at all there is an ethic at work here absolutely so I want to share with you where we ethically stand on this issue I have here the printout of from the book of discipline of our United Methodist Church statement on abortion and I am going to just hit the high points of it and I will go ahead and tell you that it is a very Methodist statement which means it is all over the place um, and so this is what we say we say um, we recognize the sacredness of the life and well-being of the mother and the unborn child we recognize that there are tragic conflicts of life that may justify abortion however we cannot affirm abortion as means of birth control or as a means of gender selection we call on us to remember that we can trust God to provide guidance wisdom and discernment to those facing an unintended pregnancy we call on the church to offer ministries to reduce unintended pregnancies to provide nurturing ministries to those who terminate a pregnancy to to those in the midst of a crisis pregnancy and to those who give birth we call on the church to offer comprehensive age-appropriate sex education which we do in this church and to advocate in regards to contraception and to support initiatives that enhance the quality of life for all women and girls around the globe we recognize that there are financial educational relational and other circumstances that have to be weighed in a situation like this that we should support crisis pregnancy centers and pregnancy resource centers and we should support and facilitate the option of adoption and then this is the last paragraph of our statement governmental laws and regulations do not provide all the guidance required by the informed Christian conscience therefore a decision concerning abortion should be made only after thoughtful and prayerful consideration by the parties involved with medical family pastoral and other appropriate counsel we recognize how complicated this reality is that that there is no way to legislate this reality because there are as many variables as there are moments in this the law won't cut it the law can't possibly anticipate everything that needs to be considered in these situations that's what the United Methodist Book of Discipline says what does the Bible say well for that I'm gonna turn this is a common English Bible women's Bible it came out a few years ago and there's a lot of sidebar art articles in here and there's a sidebar article in here on abortion and it, it will summarize uh, I think uh, how complicated this is biblically so this is this article pro-choice and pro-life advocates both use biblical concepts to justify their stances including creation redemption reconciliation justice and forgiveness but the Bible provides no clear moral position on the topic of abortion abortion was practiced in biblical times however 
Ancient magic books frequently contain spells that purport to cause miscarriage. Forced miscarriages are found in the Bible, but only in legal code. In Numbers 5, a wife suspected of adultery is to be given a potion that will cause a miscarriage if she's guilty. In Exodus 21:22, if a pregnant woman is injured in a fight and she miscarries, her husband must be compensated. The injurer is put to death only if the woman dies. The unborn child has value, but not at the same level as the mother. But this is a miscarriage caused by an act of violence, not a chosen end to a pregnancy. We cannot use these legal codes to judge the morality of abortion because they are not equivalent scenarios. When the codes were written, women had far fewer rights and consequently fewer responsibilities. The Bible doesn't answer specific questions about abortion, but it's our guide in discernment. What is clear is the responsibility to love our neighbor as ourselves. That requires humility and gentleness and grace extended to anyone facing such a difficult decision. It's true. The Bible is silent about abortion, even though it was practiced at the time. Now, there's a lot of weird stuff in the Bible. And there is a lot of great wisdom in the Bible. But there is also great wisdom in what is not in the Bible. There is great wisdom in the fact that God inspiring people and the people who wrote these texts recognized there was no way to contain the fullness of people's stories, to contain the fullness of the reality and the complication of this issue. And so it remained quiet. So it gives space to recognize the ambiguity, the inequality, the trauma of this space and the evolution of our understanding of medicine and of women. Now some may wonder why quote a random sidebar article. Well, it's not actually random. I wrote that article. And I want to share with you how I came to be the author of that article because I think it is instructive for us on our ethic here. The editors who were assigning these articles, the first person that they sent the assignment to, that person wrote from a strictly pro-life perspective. And that made half the editorial board mad. So they gave it to another writer. And that writer wrote strictly from a pro-choice perspective. And that made the other half of the editorial board mad. And so the editor of the New Testament notes came to me. She knew this was my area of expertise. It actually is. My dissertation is on infertility in the New Testament. I know quite a bit about reproduction in the first century. So she came to me and she said, if we gave you this article, what would you do with it? And I said, I'm not going to write from a pro-life perspective, and I'm not going to write from a pro-choice perspective. I'm going to write from the perspective of imagining that a woman who has either had an abortion or is considering an abortion is picking up this book. And I am going to be present with her. I am writing from a pastoral perspective. My friends, that is our ethic. It is an ethic of love. 
And let me say that when you choose love, you are never wrong. You are never wrong. If you choose a space that makes all feel welcome, if you make space for everyone's story, if you don't start from a perspective of judgment, but you start from a perspective of love and listening, you have chosen an ethic. You have chosen a path. You have chosen what is right. In a world where Christianity is being portrayed in a very particular way, I also invite you to be bold like Peter and to stand up from a position of love and to make space for people and to help them know that there is space for their story here, that they will be heard here and they will be loved here. Speak out from a space of care and concern. My friends, break or change the law when the law keeps us from loving each other. Because if there's anything that breaks the heart of God, it's when we cannot love. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church in downtown Bentonville. If you would like to let us know you were here, follow the link below to connect. To participate in worship through giving, you can give online at fumcbentonville.org or on Venmo at fumcbentonville. FUMC Bentonville welcomes all. Because we believe the communion table is God's table, we invite everyone into our church family. We welcome and celebrate every race, gender, gender identity, sexual orientation, marital status, age, physical and mental ability, national origin, economic station, and political ideology. We come together in action and outreach, aspiring to follow Jesus' example of radical hospitality, love, and grace as a transformative movement in our community. Please join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m., both in person and on Facebook Live. All are welcome, and we'd love to have you with us. Grace and peace.